Hey church, we're, we're, um, we, we have a little, um, a little practice that we like to do. Uh, you've, you've seen this thing with the Bible readings, right? So have a look, it comes up. Oh, oh, first of all, do you notice the little thing that goes across the bottom? Have you ever seen that move? Do you know that that's telling us where in the Bible it is? Do you remember we did the thing with the Bible timeline? Maybe, maybe you don't. Um, so that little blue bit that goes across the bottom there is telling you this is in the Gospels. After Jesus' birth, before his death, that's when the reading is. That's what that says. And then we do this thing where we go, this is the word of the Lord. And there's another bit that comes up. It says, and the idea is that we're supposed to be thankful to God. So that's why we say it. So we go, this is the word of God. And you go, oh, I'm mildly interested in that. No, 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 that's not what we do. We say, Fantastic. I'm delighted that you're thankful. I'm going to pray as we start uh, the next message in our series. We've been doing a series, our vision series, on growing and maturing apprentices. And we're going to work through this passage uh, in Luke chapter 6 tonight. So let's ask God for his help. And I will pray now. Father, thank you that you're a good God. Thank you that you're present here tonight, both as the author of this text and as the one who loves and has saved us. Father, would you help us to hear it well and not only listen to it, but because your Holy Spirit convicts us, Father, would you change what we do because of what we hear? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, can I also remind you, at the end, we have a and a where you'll have the opportunity to ask any questions that come up. If you want to, you might be able to jot down a question on your Care and Connect card, and that way you won't forget as we go through. Well, let me uh, start off. Oh, this is going to be fun. I have not had time to change this presentation. Normally, I do a special version for you at night. So, but are you ready, guys? What are you looking ahead to? What are you looking ahead to? Are you looking ahead to lunch? That would be, are you looking ahead to dinner? Is anyone thinking about dinner right now? My guess is that Darren's going to cook us up a storm tonight, and so it'll be worth hanging around for supper. Uh, some of you will be thinking tonight, it's still the weekend until the end of the day today. And so, my goodness... I'm still in happy place. Uh, some of you will be thinking, I'm looking forward to the end of term four. Is anyone looking forward to the end of term four? Some of you are. Some of you are sitting here going, what is a term four? Uh, because you don't run your life around the school, uh, the school calendar. But uh, lots of people will be looking for the end of term four. Maybe you're looking forward to Christmas. Is anyone actually looking forward to Christmas? Oh, there are hands going up. This is amazing. Well, maybe that's your horizon. Tonight, what I want us to do is to think about our horizon and how it might impact how we love people. See, here's the thing. I reckon we're very immediate as a culture. You won't know it, but in our kitchen out there, we have an instant hot water machine. And it's currently on the fritz, right? Oh no, you say, that's terrible. Why does it matter that the instant hot water doesn't work? You have to wait. You have to wait to get a cup of hot water. I mean, my goodness, the world is coming to an end. But if that wasn't a problem, there wouldn't be an engineering solution that's on our wall that's now broken. See, waiting for a cup of hot water is clearly too long. I just need to have my instant hot water. Now, in this evening service, I don't reckon anyone here who is under the age of what? 20 will know what this is. Guys, over here specifically, do you know this symbol? Have you seen this before? No. Very good. Everyone else? What is it? Bank card. Says it on it. Is that right? Thanks, Darren. It's because you've got your glasses on. Well done. Uh, bank card. Bank card, basically, what happened in 1974 was the, uh, the banks in Australia sent a credit card to lots and lots of people all over Australia and said, congratulations, you now have credit. And guess what everyone did? 
they went, thank you very much. We would like to buy things and not pay for them straight away. And ever since then, uh, we've had an attitude of shop now and pay later. Shop now and pay later. Uh, and uh, this one always blows me away, uh, the Harvey Norman thing, uh, where they give you 60 months interest-free. Who can do the maths? How long is 60 months? Five years. So what they'll tell you is, you can have your snazzy TV now and don't pay any interest on it for five years. And I go, that's cool, except in five years' time, will you still like your TV when you start to re... It just seems to me utterly crazy to put off the pain of actually paying for your TV for five years. You've got a thing called zip pay. We're all into next day deliveries. You can get your food delivered. Um, Uber Eats. Uh, what a wonderful thing. Has anyone Uber eaten? Yes? Okay, I see a couple of hands. Well done, you boys. Uh, it's all boys. That's fantastic. Uh, do you know that you can track your pizza on the GPS? Has anyone done that? I see more hands going up. This is extraordinary. Fantastic. Uh, or a Deliveroo, which I haven't done, but I've seen the bikes riding around town. Um, maybe some of you have Deliveroo. Has anyone Deliveroo? Not yet. Okay. All right. Here's the thing that I was blown away by recently. Um, I came across this thing called Afterpay. Are you guys familiar with Afterpay? Right, so here's the thing. I want the bright, shiny, reflective pants that I want to buy in the shops, whatever it is. And I don't have any money. That's okay. Guess what? Guess what? You can take the pants home today, and what they'll do is they'll give you four equal monthly payments for you to pay it back later. What a wonderful thing. So you can walk in and have your pants today and not think about paying them until you get a little reminder that they cost a little bit more than they would have if you had just bought them up front. What does this tell us about our society? Well, I think it tells us that our society seems to want no pain. Our society wants no waiting. Our society wants no sacrifice. And our society wants no bad vibes. Basically, we want it all as frictionless and immediately as possible. That's what we want. And please don't tell me that it's going to be painful at any point because it won't be worth it. So what do we do? We organize our society around reducing pain and delay. And so the other day, my uh, fiber to the home internet uh, went down and I was pulling my hair out at normal internet speeds. I'm just like, what is... And it just goes to show, we get addicted to fast and easy. Well, let me ask you, is that what Jesus promised us? Did Jesus promise us no pain, no waiting, no sacrifice, no bad vibes? Is that what he promised us? Have a guess. Probably not. I'm going to show you that he categorically did not promise us this. We're going to pick it up in Luke chapter 6. If you can pull that out and open it up, that'd be great. Luke chapter 6. And we're going to have a look at verse 20 and following. So Luke chapter 6 and verse 20 and following. And because you've got your Bibles open, you can see in verse 17, Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. And a large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea. There's a big crowd listening to Jesus and they listen to him and he says these things. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. 
Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that's how the ancestors treated the false prophets. It's really intriguing to me the way that Jesus speaks to his disciples, to his apprentices. It seems to assume a context of persecution. What do I mean by that? It seems like they're expecting, Jesus is expecting his apprentices to run into trouble. Now that might surprise us. It certainly would surprise us if we listen to the kind of therapeutic words from lots of preachers on TV. Your best life can be found with Jesus. It'll be fantastic. And here Jesus is saying, well, you better expect that things will be tough. In fact, he tells them, uh, he says that they will be hated, excluded, insulted and rejected. Who signed up for that when they said yes to Jesus? Then we see throughout this reading that it assumes that there is a day of great reversal coming. Do you see that the poor will be satisfied? The rich will be brought low. There is a day coming, Jesus tells them, when the world will be tipped upside down. The great will become small and the small will be lifted up. This teaching of Jesus assumes that there's going to be a day when everything will be reversed. And that leads to, in verse 23, something that is really outstandingly difficult for us to understand. Have a look at verse 23. After being hated, insulted, excluded, and rejected, Jesus tells his his apprentices, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. Now, guys, I don't know whether you've been insulted for Jesus' name. I don't know if you've found it tough to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've missed out on getting ahead in your workplace because you've taken a stand for Jesus. Maybe your family no longer speaks to you because they've chosen to exclude you because of the name of Jesus. Here, Jesus tells his disciples, on that day, when that happens to you, your response should be, yes! Toyota ad, insert insert Toyota ad if I had enough energy, right? He actually says here, leap for joy. How odd is that? When you're rejected, when you're insulted, we are supposed to leap for joy. Why is that? Well, it is because on that day you will be shown to be true followers of Jesus. You see, Jesus' followers don't just live with today. Jesus' followers love with a long view. We look forward to the day when God will set all things to right. And so we'll put up with the hardships today because we are looking forward to the reward of seeing Jesus ourselves. Well, here's a, uh, a Roman centurion. And before we get into the next little section of Jesus' teaching to his apprentices, um, I want you to know a little bit of the background to what it's like to live in Israel. If you lived in Israel, and no one obviously had a, a lifetime this long, but you were used to things being tough. In fact, you were used to having enemies, enemies that had taken over your land. And so in 322 BC, Alexander the Great took over the land of Israel. Does anyone know what Alexander's background is? What, what nation? Sorry? Macedonian. According to the Macedonians, ask their historians, they probably say he's Greek. Um, so Alexander the Great took over in 322. 
In 199 BC, the Seleucids came through and took them over. They were free in 163 BC. And then in 63 BC, the Romans decided they'd had enough of uh, the the faffing about and they decided to come in and take over Israel and in particular to occupy Jerusalem. So they knew what it was to be having enemies in your land. And I I guess it's hard for us to imagine. We're so free, uh, the oils say. Our shoreline was never invaded. Our country was never in flames. Of course, uh, they're conscious of our first peoples, so, but we haven't been invaded by a foreign army. And so we don't know what it looks like, but right now there are nations in the world where foreign troops occupy. And if you think they have a friendly relationship with the locals, you would be wrong. So in Jesus' time, the Romans were there. There was a soldier at the end of your street who was a foreigner. Have a listen to what Jesus says to his uh, apprentices next in verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, this is pretty radical teaching, isn't it? Um, Some of you will know what it is to have an enemy. I won't get you to put up your hands. The people of God knew what it was to have national enemies. And many, many of us will know what it is to have personal enemies. Personal enemies. In response to personal enemies, Jesus tells them to do something extraordinary. You guys are so familiar with it, I reckon, that you can't hear it. He says, love your enemies. And you go, yeah, What else am I supposed to do with enemies in church? What about when we leave church? What does the world tell us to do with enemies? Destroy them. Hunt them down. Ruthlessly serve revenge. That's what our world tells us. Get the upper hand and force it. Eliminate your enemies. Show no weakness. Church, you need to know tonight, Jesus is asking us to do something radically at odds with the way that our world normally works. What he wants them to be is generous peacemakers. Generous peacemakers. He's going to ask them to do something with their coats and something with their cheeks. He says, if someone takes your coat, don't withhold the shirt from them either. And if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other one also. Now, for those of you who heard me do this before, it's okay. I'm going to do it again. But I just want you to understand the cheek slapping thing, Okay. If someone slaps you on the cheek, right, slap. What is the next thing that you're going to want to do? Slap them back, right? So we've got how many slaps in this equation so far? Two. Great. You guys are onto it. Fantastic. We've got two slaps. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you slap back, what's the next thing that happens after the second slap? Fist. We go from open hands to closed hands. Now, Heaven help me if I ever find myself in that situation. I'm much happier to turn the cheek because I don't really know what to do with these things. It's just not going to be very good, right? It won't work out very well for me. So I'm thankful for Jesus' teaching. But here's why. If you get slapped, he said, don't return the slap. Let the sum of slaps be two by turning the other cheek and letting them slap that one as well. Because what happens if you receive two slaps, apart from the fact that you have sore cheeks, what happens is it doesn't spiral up. 
It doesn't escalate. If the sum total of slaps given is two, but they both fall on you, there will not be a fisticuffs to follow. We are supposed to be peacemakers, not revenge takers. Peacemakers, not revenge takers. And so what I would say to you, church, is we need to be radically different to the world around us. I want to note at this point, it is not talking about situations of abuse. If someone is if someone is, um, is someone is subjecting you to physical uh, violence, um, I want to say to you, get help. I want to say you leave that situation. But the answer here isn't to escalate in violence because it only ever goes upwards. Jesus finishes this little section with what's called the golden rule. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And when I was chatting with Reda and Samia, who have an Egyptian background, they told me that the Muslims have the silver rule. Anyone heard the silver rule? Uh, they told me that the silver rule is don't do to others what you would not like them to do to you. Do you hear the difference? Don't do to others what you would not like them to do to you. Now that's fine at withholding violence, but it's a pretty isolating way to live. The golden rule is so different. See, what does the golden rule say? Do to others what you would like them to do to you. It's an engaging way to live. Do to others what you would like them to do to you. So Jesus is pushing us towards community rather than taking away uh, or withholding violence. Uh, so I, I, I love what Jesus says, even if it's considerably challenging for us. So for Jesus' apprentices, we are supposed to love to the gold standard. Go for the gold medal. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Now, does anyone recognize this couch? Friends, fantastic. Now, this morning, I just want to recognize this morning, Pamela, who's down at the retirement village, was the first, the quickest draw. She went, friends. And I went, Pamela, outstanding. She said to me, oh, it's, it has some things in it that I don't really, but it's great. Good fun. Now, it's the friends couch. Who doesn't like friends? You know, friends is fun. So it's back. It's on all the time. You can watch friends on complete loop forever, I suspect. Good friends, because good friends are good friends, and good neighbours are good neighbours, aren't they, everyone? Fantastic, right? Um, who doesn't want to do good things to our good neighbours and good things to our good friends? The only problem with that is, it's not Christian. Well, it's not distinctly Christian, and so we, we get to be able to say, yeah, there really are good pagans. We, we know lots of people who don't know Jesus who are good to their mates, right? Brilliant. It's just not distinctly Christian. Have a look at what Jesus says in the next section. It's pretty challenging for us. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked be merciful just as your father is merciful so what does Jesus want us to do well he wants us to do something radical when was the last time you thought just naturally you know what 
I think today's a day I'd like to love my enemies. It is not a natural human thought. And so what I want to say to you, church, is we need to be supernaturally empowered here. Love your enemies. Do good to them. And we go, I can't. And I go, well done. You're at least being honest. And so what we say is, God, take up residence in my heart. By your Holy Spirit, change me from a revenge getter to a love giver. Now, guys, if you think that the teaching of Jesus is easy, at this point, we all stand in awe, don't we? What are you talking about, Jesus? This is just so incredibly radical. But it comes from what I've called gospel-driven love. Let let me explain. There's a brilliant passage in Romans chapter 5. If you're a a regular Bible reader, you should love Romans. If you're a regular Bible reader and you like Romans, there are chapters in Romans that are are more and more awesome. Chapter 5 is just a spectacular chapter in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 5, it says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless... Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now you might think to yourself, I was worth saving. You don't know me. I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty nice person. Have a listen to the description of us before we were saved. It says here, That we were powerless, ungodly sinners. How's that for a uh, thing to put on your your business card? Who are you today? Well, I'm a powerless, ungodly sinner, actually. And Jesus goes, well, that's the one I like to save. It's strange, isn't it? So here's the thing. The radical truth is bad people go to heaven. Bad people go to heaven. The powerless, the ungodly Those people are the people that God came to save. And he shows his love for them when they don't deserve it. When they were his enemies, Christ died for them. And so when it says here, do good to your enemies, and then you will be children of the Most High, well, what's God like? God is loving. He is kind, it says here in verse 35, to the ungrateful and the wicked. So here's the thing. Why would you ever love your enemies? It depends on what sort of gospel you have. If you have a gospel where you're saved by grace and you didn't deserve it, then you have received undeserved favor from God. And he says, pass on the love that you've received from me. But if you're someone who goes, God, you deserve me. Then when God asks you to do the hard thing of loving the undeserving, you'll go, I'm not doing that. That's crazy talk. So what it comes down to is how much do we see the wonders of our own salvation? To be Jesus' apprentices, we need to give love as we've received love. Give love as we've received love. Now, up north at the moment, there's some pretty tragic things happening, aren't there? Really are. Absolutely terrible fires going on. It's interesting. There are actually some tips for how to prepare your house for fire. There's some things that you should do. But how many people wake up going, today's the day my house is going to be destroyed by fire? Almost no one. What about this is the year my house might be destroyed by fire? That's when you start doing structural changes around your house, right? But no one ever thinks that way. And so a checklist that says, here's what to do if you're being told not to leave home because the fire is so imminent, we'll pay attention to that checklist. 
But the one that tells us to prepare our house, not so much. Have a listen to what Jesus says at the end of this passage. Come with me all the way to the end, to, uh, to verse 46. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. See, the question here is, do we listen? Now, well done, you're in church tonight and you're hearing the word of God. So great work. Do you listen to the word of God? That's the first thing. Second thing is, do we love? Do we do anything with it? Because if we don't, we need to look out for a day of destruction that's coming. You see, some people have houses without foundations. And when the flood comes, it'll be swept away. Some people have souls with no application. And what it's telling us is that on a day of destruction, they will be swept away. Now that's talking about flooding, isn't it? Let me show you where fire comes in as a description of God's judgment. It's in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's an amazing passage. It's talking about the return of Jesus. You know, we talk about the return of Jesus here all the time. And you kind of go, well, look, I've been coming to church for a while. You know, he's always talking about the return of Jesus. When's it going to be? Well, this is a great passage for that. It says in 2 Peter 3, uh, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Guys, that is so important for us to understand. When you hear about the judgment of God, you think, wow, God just wants to wipe everyone out. It's not true. Have a look up here, what it says. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what God loves for. That's what he longs for. But the day of the Lord will come. The day will come nonetheless, and it will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. There's a day like that coming, a day of great reversal. So how should Jesus' followers, Jesus' apprentices love They should love with actions and in truth, not merely listening, but actually doing what he says. Because ultimately our timeline, our finish point is death. The the day when you need to stop loving like this is when you die. Why? Because then your hard work will be done. You'll meet Jesus face to face and he will say, I pray for you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so in this life now, we seek to live a costly love with the expectation of heavenly rewards. He says that he will reward those who trust in him on the final day. Will it be easy? Jesus doesn't promise that. But he does tell us there'll be a finish with reward. And I call that afterpay. So what should we do? We talk about being a church here that is faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring. In our compassionate value, we we talk about living Jesus' call to love. And tonight we've heard what kind of love Jesus expects from us. And one of the questions we have here is, is, how are you bringing Jesus' love to the least? 
Well, tonight, we get to celebrate for the last time our wonderful wall of boxes here. Isn't that brilliant? It's absolutely fantastic. I'm so delighted. We have over 160 boxes there, which is just brilliant for Operation Christmas Child. And um, I just think it's amazing, don't you, that these little boxes that we pack are going to be opened by little people on the other side of the world. Isn't that cool? Like, this box, some tiny little human, this is for a four-year-old girl, is going to sit there and she's going to be so excited. I'll give you a picture. Here we go. Um, She's going to be so excited and she's going to open this up and go, look what you brought me. Look what you got for me. I think that's brilliant, just the sheer act of giving it. But we want to pray. I want to encourage you. One of the ways that we can be really practical is not only giving a box, but praying that those who open the box will hear the good news of the love of Jesus for them. Yeah? So let's show the love of God by praying that they will hear the love of God. What's another way we can show the love of God here to the least? This is a lovely lady called Davina, and she runs an organization called Turning Point in Camden. And we went and met with her and had a great chat with her. And we as a church are going to be partnering more and more with Turning Point in Camden. Why? Because it's great that these boxes are going off to the ends of the earth. But we want to show love here in our local area. And so uh, Turning Point run a, um, a, a pantry that will help people in the local area. And so what I want to encourage you to do is a way to express love. What if next time we go shopping, we buy some stuff that we can give to them to distribute into the local area? I think that would be absolutely fantastic. And the reason I like Turning Point is they've turned down the government money because when you take government money, you're not allowed to speak of Jesus. And they've turned that down so that they can offer practical love and hope that's found in Jesus' name. So next time you're shopping, you might want to pack some goodies for, uh, for Turning Point. Or what about this organization called IJM? When we're talking about loving the least, the least are people that we can't see, the least are people in slavery around the world. And IJM, International Justice Mission, who we met in the Philippines, IJM works to free slaves, to bring to justice those who do this terrible trade in human lives. And so I want to encourage you to sign up and pray with IJM for the end of modern slavery. We're going to put the details for that in our newsletter, just as I'm going to put the shopping list for Turning Point as well. What's another way that we could show love? This is actually something really exciting. Christmas is always about family. It's all about family. But what if you don't have a family here? What if your family's overseas? Then Christmas can be a pretty sucky thing. So what we're going to, te- I'm testing, taking this out for a little test flight with you guys, okay, as I have across the day. What we're thinking of doing is saying on our promotion for Christmas, Christmas is about family, join our family for our services, bring your family along, and then if you don't have family around to have lunch with, stay for a Christmas brunch at church after our morning service. And what we're wondering is, would some of you like to help us put on this Christmas morning brunch? It'll be, uh, well, the service will be at 9am, probably finish about 9.45, that's my guess, and then we'll hang around for a Christmas brunch for people who don't have family. Do you want to offer to help us serve on that day to chat with people who come along? Um, I think that'd be fantastic. And you, you can let us know on your Care and Connect card and say, I'm in for brunch on Christmas Day. That would be great. Well, what's Jesus asking us to do? He is calling us to demonstrate his love with his heart. 
his love with his heart. So you go, Jesus, I love you. I just want to be just like you. Tonight we've heard how hard it is to love like Jesus. And he says, come and be my apprentices. That's what next year is about. Growing and maturing apprentices that you and I might take up a Jesus apprenticeship that loves like him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your son loved us when we were wicked and unworthy. Father, we thank you for the mercy shown to us and we ask you might break our hearts that we might extend that same incredible love to the undeserving and the unmerciful. Father God, we know that needs supernatural work because the hurts are deep and it's hard. Father, would you be at work in us, changing us, so that we, like, we might love like your son, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Okay. Uh, that's some things on the love of Jesus as we seek to be apprentices to him. Do you have questions that arise, things to follow? Or you might just want to ask me some random other questions, which is also perfectly acceptable. That's what Q&A is for. Um, has someone got a question to get us started? We always need just a first question. Carrie's got a question. Thanks, Carrie. Um, just in the passage, um, his disciples were there and also a large crowd. Yes. Um, just this section, like, blessed are you who are poor, he's looking at his disciples. Is this a big chat to a crowd of 2,000 on a hill or is he actually just speaking to his disciples, trying to give them the insight on what the real truth of life yep. and death is? So, uh, yeah. Is it the crowd and the core? So have you, have you heard this description? Um, or at any time, you've got a crowd and then you've got the core. Crowd and core, okay? And following Jesus, there are a whole bunch of people. It says there's a huge crowd there. And then he's got his disciples. We'd like to just adjust Jesus' language a little bit and call them apprentices, I'm sure. But uh, that's, the, that's the core, the, the tight group. And I think Jesus literally is speaking these words, not out here, but to these guys here. So I actually think, Carrie, there is actually a differentiation. I don't think he's casting this message out. Everyone will hate all of you. Everyone will like all of you because you'll be just like them. Everyone will hate you. You are to love your enemies because you'll have some if you stand up for Jesus. So I think he's talking down to this smaller subset. Does that make sense? Another question? Tim, okay. I like it. Um, uh, guys, I know you've got questions. Um, one of the things I noticed coming here is that you, you've definitely got a big sense, and I don't mean this in a negative derogatory way, of, of social justice being involved in that kind of thing, so the, the helping of the needy international justice mission. Uh, I remember hearing from a, a certain Jensen brother who talked about the almost the, I don't know what the word is, the flooding of charity organisations in Australia to the point of being... Um, there's a lot uh, and he argues that as Christians our priority should be the gospel and therefore missionary work and financially sharing the gospel and allowing those charities to do their own work how would you maybe respond to that kind of statement yeah wonderful uh, I'd say a couple of things um, I'd say if you can soft heartedly prioritise the speaking of Jesus while neglecting the physical needs of people, more power to you. 
I think the reason that we need to be involved in acts of compassion is because we need to see the humanity of the people that we need to give the message of new life to and that it actually helps us. Um, when I love you enough to see that you need to be well-fed or sheltered or set free from slavery, I will also love you enough to share the good news of Jesus. There's a wonderful bit in 1 Thessalonians where um, uh, Paul says, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only our lives, but the gospel as well. Okay, And for me... Uh, I think it softens our heart to the humanity of those around us. So it's really cool to say, no, we've just got to preach the gospel. And I'd say, you're revealing your heart pretty hard there. And I would love to hear us warm-heartedly say, suffering people need love. Love in word and deed. That would be my response. Come back at me, Tim. Uh, no, I don't. I do agree with that. But I, my question is that's helpful. We, we work together, so that's really yeah. uh, that's really good, Tim. I just you're in charge, so I do what you're saying, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, so obviously, I, I agree with that kind of principle. But I think the one thing he's right about is there is a flood of charity organisations. There's new ones forming every day. Yeah. Do you have any wisdom? Because you often point what sums out to us. What yep. what more what directs your decision-making in who you do and don't support. Yeah, look, I think that's that really cool. Um, and, and look, we're being recorded, so just hear me really carefully. Um, here's the reason that I, we've chosen to partner with Turning Point. Um, because they're immediately local and because they are unashamedly naming Jesus. Um, it is possible to partner with an organisation that might be connected with this church uh, to do similar kinds of things, but it it just doesn't always come across in the same, with the same cutting edge, I don't think. And so I really, so we, 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 I went and sat with them, we went and chatted with them, we saw what they're doing, and I'm like, I get you, I know what your priority is, I see what you're doing, you're local enough for us to be expressing our love here, right here on the ground, and that's why I chose them. IJM, I, have, I had a personal connection, my brother worked for the organisation, so I got to see them on the inside. We've gone and seen leadership overseas in the Philippines, I believe that I can trust that they have gospel priorities. They want to help people know Jesus, even as they're doing the social justice stuff. So it's, it's particularly personal for me. I won't promote any organisation here that I can't personally vouch for for you to say they love people and they love Jesus and there isn't a competition there. So that's, that's my guide. Is that helpful? Good. Other questions? Sky, so good. Just a hand up, Sky. It doesn't really matter what happens next. I'm just delighted that you've got your hand up. What's your question, Sky? Um, just asking about more literal applications to the cheek turning thing. Yeah, yeah. With possibly a friend who is not necessarily a great friend. Yeah. Um, it's a tricky situation trying to include people, but also they're not always very nice to you. Turn your cheek to them, literally. Look, th thank you so much for asking it. This is super tough in practice, isn't it? What, what do you mean, Jesus? Um, surely I can give them the cold shoulder and that'll be all right. He, he actually goes, he really challenges us, Sky. Because what he says is, love your enemies. And then he says, do good to them. Did you hear him say that? It, it's not just, God, I'm sitting at home taking no phone calls, never leaving my house. But man, I'm loving them. Okay, I am, I am loving them, God. 
he actually says that we're to actively do good to them. Now that, that messes with my brain because we are so hardwired to revenge and repayment and, and here he's saying, I want you to be proactively good in the world towards them. Now, Sky, when he says that, everyone goes, sure, easy, Jesus, no problems. Not. It, it sounds impossible. And so here's my answer. When it sounds impossible, we're probably getting close to doing something which is what Jesus wants us to do. And when I'm at the end of myself, the answer isn't try harder. It's pray and say, God, you need to make me someone I'm not at the moment. Right? I really strongly don't want to do that, Jesus. But I know that I love you. So would you help me overcome my hard heart? Would you lead me to show practical love to someone I am I'm really, I'm really battling with at the moment. And so I, I think it's prayer first. So you don't even have to go, wow, I'm going to make sure they've got a seat on the bus or whatever. Don't do it before your heart's right. Okay. Just pray like crazy. God, start changing me. And then I think it's little bits and pieces as we build up to it. Does that sound, sound okay? Is that helpful at all? I just think don't leave the prayer and the changing of God out of the practice, right? It's not just, well, get in and do it. It's not like that. We're actually supernaturally empowered. And so plead with God, who will be with you, who lives in your heart, change me and enable me to do this impossible thing. Does that sound all right? It's good. It's a really good question. Uh, anyone else? Okay. Um, thanks, everyone. Uh, let's take classes from Jesus. Uh, thank you, God, for your help. Please change us that we might do this radical thing.